Welcome back to the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by Ian Marco to discuss all things breathing. Ian is a fitness coach and educator with years of experience working with clients in many training environments, which led him to design a successful online training company, Marco Training Systems. Ian and I dive deep into breathwork, its impact on musculoskeletal function, mindfulness, and how it influences every system in the body. This is a topic that Ian and I totally nerd out over and is jam-packed with practical advice to improve your sleep, mobility, mindset, and performance. Ian prescribes breathwork with every single client that he works with and left us with some awesome tools and tips that I cannot wait to use with my patients, athletes, and especially myself. I hope you enjoy this awesome episode with Ian Marco. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Ian, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm super pumped to dive into things uh, with you today, talk a little bit about your experience and Get some tips on breathing and mobility and all this stuff that I've become super interested in. Um, But I would love if we could start with you giving a little bit of an introduction about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So my name is Ian Marco. Um, I'm currently living in Delray Beach, Florida. Uh, I just moved from Miami Beach, Florida. I work back and forth between the two of them a few days a week. I'm a personal trainer, um, also a uh, educator, I would say. So I have uh, courses and other education to teach other coaches and, and therapists. Um, and I originally uh, kind of came up in New York City. So that was a great experience for me. Spent five years in New York City, uh, did the uh, the crunch fitness and the kind of industry style stuff that was really invaluable, honestly, especially for sales, business, things like that. Um, and then I eventually worked in a couple of physical therapy clinics, kind of went to see the whole end of the spectrum from training to that, um, worked with athletes. So kind of a lot of broad strokes through everything and now kind of settled in with my own, um, you know, online training business. I still work in person, as I said, um, doing a lot of uh, education with other coaches. So that's pretty much it. Awesome. I love that. And yeah, I've, I've uh, experienced quite a bit of your content, especially over the last few weeks, looked at your YouTube videos and stuff. And I'd like to just hear from you. I mean, is there like a certain domain of training that you're doing? What's kind of like your niche within the training world? Yeah, it's a tough question to answer, honestly, because, you know, what originally started as me being the mobility guy, and then I kind of rebelled against it, which was probably like the best thing ever, because what it did was it it taught me how to look at all the other aspects of fitness and health, and to really question mobility, like, hey, is this really the fastest way to get where I go? Does it matter? Do I really need this? So I ended up picking up a lot of different things from a lot of different places and kind of creating my own system out of those. So it's really hard to even identify, to be honest, because you could ask one of my clients and they'd be like, yeah, I love all the mobility work we do. And then my other client might be like, I don't even know what cars are, you know, it's just like, so I I like to think of myself as a jack of all trades and someone that's at the root, really, truly open-minded, which is kind of rare these days. Um, So being able to kind of just say, hey, the person in front of me, what do they need? What do I think the best tool is to, to help them get there? And then trying to execute that plan. Yeah, I love that, Ian. And one thing that I'm learning as I enter into, you know, the sports performance, human performance and rehab space is that, in my opinion, the most respectable people out there are the ones who 
have changed their mind on things or continue to be open-minded even when you um, begin to have a following and um, yeah, just being able to change your mind. It's like, we're always learning new things about the body. And if there was one best way to do things, we would all be doing it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Most of the PT students that I know are uh, spend uh, 25% of their time just being mad that they disagree with their teacher because they've learned something new since then and they think it's outdated. (laughs) Yeah, that is definitely a very real struggle. And it's funny, as we're recording this, I'm two weeks out from my licensing exam. So I'm hitting the textbooks and a lot of that stuff is based on like 10 to 15 years ago. So um, I agree with you. It's like, you got to shut off this rational part of your brain almost and just study the old stuff. But that's the exciting thing about human performance, right? It's like, we're never going to be, it's never going to get dry because there's always new things to learn and explore. Yeah. And also, you know, get being like, like similar to how I did with mobility and and all the things I've done to, to, to be forced even into doing that self-examination of how they used to do things makes you so much smarter and stronger to come out of it and be able to articulate why you don't want to do it like that anymore or why it's wrong or why you disagree. And that, um, that, that, uh, that kind of inventory check of why am I even doing things, especially as a trainer is something that a lot of people don't do because it's very easy to just be like, Oh, I have to hit 40 sessions this week. All right, cool. I'll just knock them out, knock them out, knock them out. And you're just kind of like, doing the same thing over and over again you don't really step back and be like is this even the best way you know so I think that's a great great kind of struggle to go through honestly yeah and that's great advice for anybody but especially for somebody in the performance training space um so Ian one thing I want to dive in with you today kind of the main overarching topic is talking about breath work I think that breathing and incorporating intentional breathing strategies is starting to gain more traction you would probably know better than me Um, but still somewhat of like an underutilized lever that we can pull for performance. So if we could start with you just diving into the anatomy of breathing a little bit, talk about what structures are involved and kind of like how we're designed to breathe as humans. Absolutely. So first and foremost, I think you hit it right on the head, meaning A, people are becoming more aware of it. I think that with that, building off that previous note that we had, like you can go too far, absolutely too. So like before we even go down the rabbit hole, I think it's cool to say like, hey, there's some people that like shouldn't be on the ground breathing for 45 minutes. You know, like if you're if you're 200 pounds overweight, probably need to get get to get moving and not not breathing. You'll breathe when you're moving for sure. You know what I mean? So <laughs> there, there's there, there's that main point that, uh, you know, I like to check biases all the time. So that's a huge thing for me. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely grown in popularity. Um, one of my favorite quotes around it is the idea that um, unless breathing is normalized, no other movements can be. So I think that's a really powerful thing. Um, no matter what you do when you're done with your workout, you're going to go home and breathe. So you can't really get away from it. It's going to happen. You need to do it to live. So if you're doing it at such a suboptimal level, something is going to happen and you're going to have um, kind of things that you're going to have to climb uphill battles with because of it. Um, so, yeah. And then in terms of the actual structures that are involved, a lot of people will just say, oh, well, this is you're breathing in your belly and that's diaphragmatic breathing. Well, kind of, I guess, but the reality is, you know, what, what we want to see expand is really your rib cage. Um, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be movement in the belly, but to get a true quality breath, it actually won't be as deep 
it would be actually more expansive. Um, a lot of people are confused about whether they should fill up their chest or not. Absolutely. You just don't want to fill up your chest by shrugging your shoulders up the first second of an inhale and doing what I would kind of call like a panic inhale. Um, so that's a huge kind of factor. Um, being able to think about like, hey, where are my lungs? They're in your rib cage. They're not in your belly. So getting that expansion through your rib cage is like one of the biggest kind of things that I think people struggle with to, to conceptualize at first. And then in terms specifically of what muscles are being used, like I said, the diaphragm is going to be one of many, many, uh, you know, muscles that work together. And it's really a symphony, which is why I think a lot of people struggle with it, because there's so many different things that are working together. But in the simplest terms, when we inhale our diaphragm, which is like a balloon that sits at the bottom of the base of our rib cage in the front, and wraps all the way around and connects to all kinds of different things is going to actually come downward. And that's supposed to effortlessly, really big emphasis on effortlessly, pull air into our lungs. And when then that happens, we're actually going to get the pelvic floor to react to it. So those two kind of uh, mirror each other. One of the other things that people need to know is like your guts actually move. So thinking about breathing and maybe even taking it more to a clinical setting, when you have things going on like indigestion, um, you know, kidney issues, organ, anything to do with that stuff, one of the easiest entry points to start attacking that stuff would be to normalize breathing because your body is constantly moving, constantly flowing. It's, you know, uh, a universe within a universe, basically. So all these systems interacting and to get something as important as a liver or, or kidneys or whatever, or even all the stuff around it to just not move at all. And you do that all day, every day, like things are going to stop working so well. So your breath should actually move your guts. So when we inhale, your guts actually descend and go down and they go into your pelvis to a certain extent. So that's where the pelvic floor comes down as well. And then when we exhale, the, the pelvic floor is going to come up, the diaphragm is going to come up too, and they're going to go ahead and create this pressure system. The other best way to kind of think about breathing in terms of that is to just break it down to the Coke can analogy. Your, your rib cage, you can think about it as a cylinder. Um, at the bottom of the Coke can is your pelvis. At the top is your, you know, right at the beginning of your neck. We want to be able to keep outward pressure there, which is intra-abdominal pressure, IAP. And that's that pushing out sensation that's really confusing for people as well. And then that just leads into another really kind of common misconception about, I should I pull my belly button in? Definitely not. You know, so like if you want outward pressure, say I'm going to do a deadlift, right? I don't want to crumble. I don't want to have my Coke can have cracks in it as if I stepped on it. If I had someone punch me in the stomach, do I want outward pressure to meet that punch or do I want to add to the punch and pull my belly button in? You don't want to do that. So you want that outward pressure to give you 360 degrees. And that's a, a, a key component of the whole entire equation, because when we're trying to put people under load, and have them lift weights, we definitely need to have that outward pressure and be able to create that intra-abdominal pressure. Um, so that's huge. Wow. Yeah. Everything you just said, I mean, that's all awesome and great explanations, great way to kind of paint the picture of it. And a few things that really stood out to me um, coming from personal experience, like we talked about a little bit in the beginning, like going through this process of changing your mind on things and learning things when I first got into training and, and, um, you know, being an athlete, like I was always thinking of bracing the core and sucking in and like holding your breath. 
And then probably like two years ago, when I started to learn about breath work, I became that person who was like really forcefully pushing air out, like expanding my stomach as much as possible. And like you spoke about, that's not optimal either. So it's like being able to find this middle ground and, and holding on to that principle of like, breathing is probably the most natural thing we do as human beings. It shouldn't feel uncomfortable or like super effortful. Now, I do think that for people who maybe have not so great breathing patterns, restoring that to more normal might feel a little awkward, which we'll dive into that. But yeah, I just love that you mentioned that. And um, interestingly enough, from a rehab standpoint, like you mentioned, I actually went to a talk at a conference about the pelvic floor, pelvic floor dysfunctions with uh, weightlifting. And one of the things that was discussed was these proper breathing and bracing strategies and them talking about how that forceful push out and down can actually contribute to pelvic floor dysfunction. So it should be more of that rhythmic, comfortable bracing, like you mentioned. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like some people are out there, you know, every time they deadlift, they pee their pants and they're like, yeah, this is cool. It's just kind of like what we do. It's like, no, nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Based on like from an anatomy standpoint, Another thing that I've heard a lot of uh, people speak about in the breathwork kind of realm is the difference between nasal breathing, breathing through your nose versus breathing through your mouth. Is this something that we should be paying attention to? Is there a big difference between taking an inhale through your mouth versus your nose? What's kind of your experience with that? Absolutely. So uh, they, they, it's really as simple as similar to how you talked about with, uh, you know, lifting and our pressure and all that thing. It's just the task always is going to mirror what, what, what the intent is and what you need. Um, so basically when you're running from a tiger, like you're probably not going to nasal breathe, like you need to run you're going to have to go sprint as hard as you can. Um, but at the same time throughout the day, especially at night, you definitely want to be nasal breathing. I like to describe it as your default strategy should be nasal breathing and your fight or flight response should be, uh, you know, breathing out through your mouth. The more conditioned you are, the better athlete you are, the more aerobic capacity you have, the more work you should be able to do without needing to mouth breathe. So that's kind of what zone two training, another thing that's kind of gotten popularity as of late, which is awesome and has been a game changer for me. Um, but it's just the idea of basically you're doing cardio. You're doing it at a steady state that is not hard, meaning you're not dying. You can still breathe in through your nose, but you're also not just walking. It's not just, hey, I'm not really working at all. So it's that steady. Um, the other thing I'd like say about zone two is it really kind of mirrored life, right? Because like you, you, life has ups and downs, but there's a lot of your life that's just like, all right, I have to like sit here and I have to stay in the game and I have to focus and I have to continually work and continually grind. I have to watch and listen to my professor over and over again. It's not like, all right, he told me everything one second and I walked away. You know what I mean? So zone two also kind of teaches you that skill of being able to be like, all right, I'm on, I am yeah, listening to a podcast, but my body is constantly working constantly working it's not sprinting but it's working it's working and that's one of the things that's actually going to have a huge effect on your heart there's certain adaptions that you get from doing zone two that you wouldn't get from hit training which is exactly the huge problem with a lot of people in group fitness they've never done zone two they've never built a base but they sure do love to go crazy for 45 minutes but they kind of plateau 
they're not really in that great of shape. They might be skinny fat. And it's really because they've skipped a lot of those steps. Um, so that's a big part of it. Um, kind of got off on a tangent there. What was the original question? Did I even no, that, that was great. I'm glad that you got into that because you, you answered it with like a functional purpose. Um, going into the nasal breathing, you know, talking about how it should be our default mode. And I like that you mentioned that. And for me, I think a lot of this also comes down to like facial structure can contribute as well, but also just habits that we develop over time. And uh, I started becoming interested in nasal breathing probably like six months ago or so, actually last year, um, when I noticed that my sleep quality was impacted by being a mouth breather at night. And it's just kind of my natural resting position is like mouth open. So I'm that person that like sleeps with my mouth wide open. You know, my friends used to put like Cheetos in my mouth during sleepovers and stuff. (laughs) And I actually ended up uh, investing in some mouth tape, which is like the craziest sounding thing. People are like, what do you mean you tape your mouth closed? But that was something that I had to definitely adapt to and work my way up to. Um, But taping my lips closed at night allows me to stay in those deeper sleep stages longer. I don't know. I mean, that's specific to sleep, but like you mentioned with training, I've noticed when I'm running, doing some of that zone two kind of aerobic work that the longer I can hold on to that nasal breathing, the more I feel my rib cage expanding properly. And I feel my core activated in a way that makes my hips and my low back feel more comfortable too. Like it just feels more functional, you know? Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I'm all, I'm all about the mouth taping. Every single client I have uh, does it. Every, every program we write, it starts off with it because it's just such a cheap, easy thing that can yield such big results. Things that I try to do with my clients and, and my students is like, give them things that like are like huge bang for your buck. And like, yeah, at first, like everybody kind of freaks out a little bit, but you know what? You just like spend 10 minutes while you're working with the tape on, you'll realize that it's nothing. You can always take it off. You can take your mouth in a way that it still is open on the sides and it just gives you some feedback. So there's a lot of ways around like the, the original hump of being like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Um, but the, the benefits are crazy. And absolutely, how you breathe is going to change your position. Like every single breath you take is going to change the position of your skeleton because of all these things that need to happen. And when they happen, so many things of that movement comes from the middle. Your body works in the middle out in a lot of ways. So, you know, your shoulder, your hips, your knees, a lot of those things are going to have a huge impact on how well you're positioned at the middle. And when we go through something dynamic like running for miles, like, it's going to have a big impact on you. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And you brought up the zone two training for anybody listening, who's not familiar with that um, phrase. Can you just describe like what zone two training refers to? Absolutely. So zone two is just a heart rate. You're going to be zone three, zone four, you know, it's, it's like the simplest way to do it is like you're doing cardio, but you're breathing in through your nose it's not necessarily like, Hey, zone two has to be in through the nose, but it should definitely. And when you do that, you're, you're, you're not able to talk or you're able to talk. So you can have a conversation, meaning if you sprint on the track, you're not going to talk after that. You're going to need a second to recover. So you're not going that hard, but at the same time, you're again, you're not walking. You shouldn't be sweating. It should just be a really good, steady pace. That's challenging, but not too challenging. And, and, and to be truly in zone two, you would need a heart rate monitor or just monitor that um, and just be able to see, hey, all right, I'm officially in zone two. But and, 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 you know, like I said, the adaptions that you're going to get from that are different and, in my opinion, extremely beneficial, especially for building a base. 
And you don't have to, you, even if you're a, uh, you know, like I said, someone who's like, thinks they're really fit, they've been doing HIIT training, you know, they're building that base and like taking a step back and doing some zone two, even twice a week, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, that can be huge for you. Um, and it's going to play a huge role in all of your stuff and your overall health. Yeah, I'm so glad that that's something that you prioritize with your clients and that you're sharing with my listeners because it's definitely we're in a culture right now with fitness that it's all about like the go hard or go home. And if you're not, you know, spending the entire orange theory class in the red zone, you didn't work hard enough. Um, and I'm with you. I mean, I'm all about sustainable sustainability and low hanging fruit. And in reality, like we don't need to be killing ourselves in the gym to make progress. In fact, most people probably shouldn't if they want to last. So that, those, that advice about zone two training and, um, you know, not just from a fitness perspective, but just an overall like health, wellness, musculoskeletal health perspective. It's a great, um, you know, a great thing to incorporate into just our training in general. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, awesome. So another thing I want to ask you is, I mean, we've talked a lot about kind of the anatomy and physiology of breath, breath work, but can you kind of discuss in your opinion, like what are the biggest benefits of incorporating breath work or just being mindful of your breath um, for mental health, physical health, anything like that? Yeah. So I, I think you, you think about how we are as a society these days, you know, how many of us have like overwhelming anxiety. Um, we're kind of overtrained, um, overfed and undernourished in a lot of ways. So when you think about breathing, the amount of things that it's going to impact is astronomical. Um, and even just to keep it on stuff that we've already talked about with the sleep, like if you don't sleep and you don't recover, it doesn't really matter all the other stuff that you're doing. Like all the things that the personal trainers are arguing about on the internet right now, like, Oh, like, is this deadlift or like which iliac lat is this going to hit on this row? Like, it doesn't matter if you don't sleep. So like that alone with your breath work and like being able to calm down, being able to be clear headed, um, you know, meditation has been around for such a long time. I mean, there's so many different, um, you know, studies that show the benefits of it. So that's easy to find, but like being able to get in touch with your body and just being able to let go of some tension would be one of the biggest goals for me in terms of teaching someone breath work. Because if you can think about it, like we're so adaptable as humans and the things that we've been able to accomplish over the, over the decades is like incredible. So like to think that you wouldn't be able to just get in control of your body and like consciously let go of tension when all of us are constantly feeling tense all the time or so many of us are um, that would be one of the biggest things to sleep and just being in your body would be huge for me um, we talked about how some of the digestion and getting things moving down there just by normalizing breathing would make a big make a lot of sense um, in terms of taking your weightlifting and your actual training to the next level, I like to describe your breathing as your start position, and you can almost interchange posture with that too. Do you need to be in the perfect posture all the time? Absolutely not. Whatever you need to do is going to mirror the posture that you need. But if you're able to start off every exercise with a breath or two that repositions your rib cage and pelvis to come together and create a better relationship between those two, then your shoulders and your hips are going to do so much better because they're organized from the middle out. For something like running where your rib cage is going to be all over the place, you're going to have this reciprocation and all kinds of things going, that's fine. 
But if you start off your run in a better position, you're going to end up staying in a better position and you're going to have an actual shot at staying in a better position where if I'm really overstressed, I'm really extended in my lower back, I'm breathing with my neck. Like it's just a matter of time before you're running with your lower back as the prime mover. And I think everybody here can realize that like, that's not going to last very long. I mean, you know, who hasn't had some uh, back pain at one point and using your lower back to be your hips is just common sense. So it's really going to affect everything, honestly. Yeah, it really, it's so amazing how breath work is one of those things. Breathing is one of those things that has a direct line to like everything in our body, you know, just like sleep does. And I love that you brought up, um, you know, how it can help just kind of clear our heads and relieve tension and thinking about that from a physical standpoint to share like a little case study here as a physical therapist. Um, there was a patient that I worked with on one of my rotations who had chronic neck and back pain. And, you know, every PT that she went to was really focused on manual therapy for tone reduction, which I'm a fan of manual therapy. I definitely use it and think it has a place, but as I'm speaking with her, this was the first time I saw her, I'm just observing her breathing pattern, which is something that I've learned to do with all of all of my patients and clients. And, you know, she was very much breathing in her neck, talking in her neck, which I tend to do as well. So I can easily recognize it. Um, but as I'm talking with her, I just asked her, I'm like, how, um, you know, how is your stress management? Like, do you have any strategies to manage your stress? And I like to have those conversations with patients who seem like they'd be, um, able to like, or willing to discuss it. But she started opening up about her personal life and her kids and just all these, these things that were going on. And I could just like see that tension continuing to build. So I asked her if she would be um, willing to hear some advice from me on how breathing can help with that. And I explained to her from a musculoskeletal perspective, how breath work can actually help to, you know, reduce tone. She, she was also an occupational therapist, which helped because she understood anatomy. But anyway, um, I got her in supine. We worked on some diaphragmatic breathing stuff, expanding the rib cage laterally, yada, yada. And you could literally see her SEMs just like melting away. Like it was amazing. And she was amazed. And I don't say this to say I fixed her because this isn't the kind of thing that you do five minutes of breath work and you're healed, you know, but it gave her so much hope, like the light in her eyes of like, oh my God, like that's something that, that I can do. And I'm like, yeah. And anyway, it's just, it's so amazing because when you do that deep breathing, it's almost like a signal to your brain to relax. And that's not just from a mental standpoint, but your muscles relax, your body relaxes. And I just thought you'd appreciate that. I did see your YouTube video about using breath work for, um, you know, relaxing muscles as well, which I'd like to talk about, but it's so powerful. That's like one of my favorite patient experiences I've had yet. Yeah, hundred percent. It's uh, I mean, imagine how different the world would be if we just taught kids how to breathe and, and, and just gave them some, some time. And when you have someone who's throwing a fit or a, a kid that is like, learn not able to express themselves or or anything like that and you just taught them hey just take five minutes real quick like get in your body take a couple of breaths like just think about it like I mean I personally think the world would be a different place if, if, if that was mandatory um to kind of go through versus god knows all the other stuff that we learned that I don't use you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true and like we mentioned I mean both of us are so passionate about helping people feel a sense of self-efficacy with their bodies and their performance and to equip humans with a tool that they can use free of cost 
anytime, any place, like why wouldn't we be using it? You know, and unfortunately in physical therapy, there's not enough of us doing that because we want patients to come to us. We rely on patients to rely on us. And so it's all about, you know, the tools and the cupping and love that stuff. But if somebody's super flared up and you're just taking the metal thing to their neck every time, like that's going to be a painful stimulus that might flare them up more. Anyway, I'm not going to go on a whole tangent, but um, I appreciate that, that you take the time to teach those things because yeah, like if, if people just knew how much it can improve so many aspects, maybe they would do it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, totally. And so on that topic, I'd like for you to discuss a little bit the relationship between breathing and mobility and musculoskeletal dysfunction. Um, I mean, I just gave a little bit of an example, but can you kind of discuss how breathing can have an impact on musculoskeletal health? Absolutely. So, so, so like we've been talking about just to build on it, you know, when you're breathing, you're going to change the position of your skeleton. You can't inhale and, and bring air in without something changing. So that position is also going to dictate what muscles are being used and what muscles are really kind of tensioned up, in, in other words. So if you have someone who is constantly feeling their lower back, and every time they breathe, they do it by arching their lower back further, they're never going to relax their lower back. And if they never relax their lower back, they're probably never going to use their hip. So you have someone who has five days a week of glute training, who's been using their lower back the whole time, and they have pythons for a lower back and like the smallest little Debbies for a butt you've ever seen. It's like, well, what's going on here? So whether you're rehab or you're training, it's going to affect everybody across the spectrum. When it comes to mobility specifically, to have mobility, there has to be some component of stability, of feeling safe, of getting things to lock into place for other things to stretch. Because you can't really stretch without an anchor. And that anchor in most situations is going to be from the middle. So if I want to do a pancake or I want to get something out of my hips, I'm going to need a good relationship at the middle, which all starts with breathing. So for example, same scenario with the lower back. If my lower back's always working, I'm constantly shrugging to, 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 to get overhead, like my overhead press and I'm shrugging to do it. My shoulder's going to run out of space way earlier than if I could keep my ribs down and actually use my shoulder to be a shoulder. So what I've found in my career is, and this is another one of those things that I kind of like briefly touched on earlier, the idea of challenging mobility is instead of getting people to create all this tension, maybe doing isometrics and all the good FRC stuff, the pails and rails, the kin stretch, all these great things a lot of those people need to work on their foundation first which might mean getting in shape and just doing zone two cleaning up their sleep so they don't feel like crap every day um, and then also maybe working on optimizing their breathing and their positioning from the middle out so that some of that extra tension across their body might actually give up and they're able to kind of stay in um, a better position to allow other things to work yeah that's awesome. And it's, it is such a good way of describing it of, you know, we need that stable midsection, that stable core to have mobile joints. And I think that a lot of us, when we think about mobility picture, you know, yoga or some kind of like sitting on the ground, stretching type of practice, which is definitely one form of flexibility, mobility, but mobility is important with any type of training, you know, in order to squat with a barbell on your back, well, you're going to need to have some degree of of motion in all of your joints. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, I think breathing more so breathing dysfunction is such a limiting factor in a lot of cases, you know, like you mentioned, like optimizing your breathing can definitely help, but more than that, having difficulty breathing properly and breathing deeply is going to make those things compensate. And, um, yeah, I mean, and in your experience, like in terms of training, do you think that there's an ideal time and place for breath work? Like if this is something that somebody wanted to practice, should they incorporate it along with the mobility routine? What do you usually do with that? Absolutely. So I would first start with the mouth taping because again, like I said, I really like the big bang for your buck and even specifically like, all right, if I am going to give someone mobility training, usually they're going to be like, yeah, so, you know, either I'm not doing anything and it's a struggle to add something or I'm already doing so much stuff. Am I really going to be able to fit this in? You know, like there's usually those two extremes. It's never someone in the middle is like, yeah, I would love to just add an hour here and there, you know? So with that, I like to give them the mouth breathing because they are the, um, the nasal breathing with the mouth tape because they might get so much out of just that. And it doesn't even add time. It's just put it on. You're already going to sleep anyway. So that would be my first step for pretty much everybody integrating that. Then I would say that probably the best time to do your breath work because of everything we talked about in terms of the positioning, restoring motion around the rib cage of the pelvis would be before your mobility work. So if I'm going to do a shoulder mobility day, we know that the shoulder is going to only go as far as the shoulder blade and the shoulder blades only going to do as well as the rib cage. If you have that convex concave relationship between them two, in other words, your shoulder blade is supposed to sit really nicely on your rib cage. If your rib cage is smushed, compressed, or whatever word you want to use, because you can't even expand it because you've only been belly breathing, then you might want to address that first. And then you work on your shoulder and you can even work on your way out. So a mobility routine might look like working on your breathing, focusing on ex restoring expansion of the rib cage. Then you might go into some spinal cars, you know, segmentation, cat-cows. Then you might do some scapular cars, moving your shoulder blade on the rib cage. Then you might do some shoulder cars. So like that, that strategy has worked really well for me on, on that. But really, um, you know, the mouth taping is a great first start. And then, you know, just working on your breathing a little bit before. And if you wanted to take it a step further by doing a proper assessment, you can really identify where someone isn't getting that breath. And it might be their chest. It might be their right chest. It might be their back left side. So you can manipulate an exercise using gravity and positioning so that they're biased to expanding that certain area. And when you do that, that's when you're really on the fast track. And with that said, that doesn't mean that most people will be so good at just lying on their back face up and just going, I'm going to expand 360 degrees. Over time, you keep chipping away, you're going to eventually get it everywhere. Um, but to get it even faster, you can use certain positions too. That's awesome. Yeah. And wow, you just use so much information. I love this conversation right now. <laughs> and, uh, but going into back to the mouth tape point, I love that you mentioned that it's like, you're already going to be sleeping and breathing, like use it during that time. One thing that I talk a lot about um, as a physical therapist is making sure that patients understand that, you know, the two hours or three hours a week that they're spending in physical therapy isn't going to have as big of an impact as it would if there's also things happening outside of physical therapy, you know, how many hours are in a week? I think it's like 168 maybe. So like, Think about that math, two to three hours out of that, how much of an impact will it have? And same thing with breath work. I think like 
the five to 10 minutes a day of like intentional breath work is really powerful. And that's something that I strive for, but we need to also be incorporating these principles on a larger scale than that, because like, you know, it just makes sense. Like the dose is, a, is the magic. Um, and even I like that you also mentioned, like if somebody is going to try mouth taping for nasal breathing to do it for like 10 minutes, do it while you're working, do it while you're, you know, doing laundry, like starting on that small scale and kind of working your way up. Cause from a personal standpoint, I mean, I'll admit like the first time I tried it, I was like, your body goes into panic mode when you've been breathing through your mouth for so long. But now as I sit here, I am naturally a nasal breather and I never thought I would get that far. Um, so for anybody who is interested, I am definitely going to link at least the link to the mouth tape that I use in the description of this episode. And I would love if you could share what you um, suggest to your clients as well, because I also agree it's a game changer. Yeah, we um, have a whole blog on it. And then just to build off what you're saying, like I think the equation is a really powerful way that's worded because like what you said is absolutely true. A, you're going to breathe no matter what. We already talked about that. So it's, are you doing it okay? Or are you doing it really shitty? And then B, when we talk about the actual equation for all of like the type A mathematical type minds, like, okay, you go to sleep for eight hours, six hours. You could either be doing it through your nose or you could not be. So the mouth tape guarantees that. So you're already winning so many hours just by doing the mouth taping that it's, it's a no brainer. Yeah, 100%. And one more thing I just want you to expand upon, if you don't mind, Ian, is um, I heard you reference the uh, FRC stuff a little bit, you know, a couple times throughout the episode. But just in case anybody's wondering what you're referring to with cars, I know FRC could be a whole nother conversation, but can you just kind of explain like what you're referring to there? Absolutely. So FRC is functional range conditioning and was created by Dr. Andreo Spina. Um, Kin Stretch is the group application of it. So you wouldn't go to an FRC class, you would go to a Kin Stretch class, but they're basically the same thing. Kin Stretch is just the application of it. Cars are controlled articular rotations, and they're just a fancy way of saying joint circles. You essentially take each joint through its full range of motion. If you want to see them, just YouTube Ian Marco um, cars, it'll pop right up. Um, and you're basically, uh, it, it's kind of like very similar to how the mouth taping is like, hey, this is the first place you should start. This is the first place you should start with mobility training because it's just a systematic way to take each joint through every range of motion that it has. And it's just boom, 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 check the list. All right, I moved everything. And it's also serves as an assessment, which is really cool. But, um, you know, that was, the, they, they um, taught me a lot earlier in my career. And I basically did like everything that they, they put out, I did except for the most recent thing, um, the strength model. And, um, you know, they're awesome. So I, I learned a lot from them and I always love to credit them and send people their way. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And a few of the physical therapists who I very much look up to, one of which is actually going to be my boss when I start my, my first big girl PT job in a few weeks. Um, they're both FRC trained and have seen, you know, tremendous um, improvements in the patients and clients they work with. So I agree with you there. And I think there's a lot of mobility stuff too, where some people go overboard with it and sticking to the basics of human movement um, is probably the way to go in the long run. Especially, yeah, like the, the best example of that is the 90-90, like the 90-90 position, like people call it the shin box, you're basically like landing on the ground, one hips a 90 in the front, one in the back, and like the amount of people that should start in that position is like close to 5%. 
And the amount of people that do start in it is like 80%. It's just like, all right, cool. Like, like you have people that have like literally no, they can't body weight. They can't, they can't squat to 90 degrees, but then they're in the 99. And it's just, it's just such a good example of like, all right, like this person doesn't even know where their hip is in space, but we're putting them in this like most advanced position you can get into. And that, that happens a lot. Yeah, definitely. That's a good example. And that is a very, um, overutilized, but not that it's a bad mobility drill, but yeah, like a lot of people just aren't necessarily ready for it. So some good food for a lot of Um, now I want to, I want to just jump into, as we start to wrap up here, what the best way is to implement some of these breathwork strategies. You know, we've, we've given a lot of information, but just like anything else, whenever you try to add a new habit into your health and fitness journey, it can be hard to get started. So when you're working with a new client, besides the mouth taping, what are kind of some strategies that you use to get them to start thinking about these things? Great question. So the first, the easiest thing to do, and it's exactly what I do with all of my one-on-one clients. So like you just YouTube Ian Marco intro to core and I'll, I'll, we'll link that for you guys. I'll send it to you. Um, but essentially you're just face up. It's nine minutes. You're laying on your back anywhere you want. Um, and it just is a quick routine that goes through a few things. The first one is belly breathing. Now, it's a little bit controversial, especially since everything I said so far, but we'll explain it. So I do believe that starting a breath routine with belly breathing is actually a great idea. And the reason I do it is not because I want you to breathe through your, with your belly the rest of the day, or like, that's the best way to breathe. It's because by thinking about starting the breath from the bottom is going to help you get that descending of the diaphragm it's going to help you relax some things down there a lot of people are butt clenchers especially those pelvic floor people where they've been told to squeeze their glutes all for everything so like everything they do is squeezing their butt all of a sudden like oh glutes are everything all right great so like you need to teach people to first just let go of everything down there like legit breathe into your butthole as funny as that sounds like that is like the best way to think about it. you just like let go down there instead of always holding tension there so i do start off with belly breathing it's as simple as like five to ten breaths the other way that i like to think about belly breathing is it's really an eccentric or a stretch for your six pack so a lot of people think about core training and they really don't ever use their obliques, their TBA, some of the deeper and more rotational uh, parts of their core. And they actually just kind of crank on their six pack. So everything is a crunch, 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 crunch. What do you do? I do knee lifts. I crunch. What do you do? Crunches on the ball. What else do you do? Uh, I do Russian twists. Oh, you're sort of crunching in every single thing you do. So like when I think about breath work and I think about core, one of the cues that I use often is like, think about your butt is moving away from an imaginary unicorn horn on top of your head. So that would be length through your spine. If you can be strong there, you're going to be strong in a lot of different ways. And when we take that to a more functional thing, which is standing, that's you resisting gravity because gravity is crushing you down on top of your head. And can you resist gravity upwards? So that's one of the biggest things that I'll do is I'll start with that belly breathing to get you to do that. Then I'll go into lateral breathing, which is you put your hands on the sides of your ribs, you work on expanding. And this whole thing's in the video, just so everybody's listening. When you open up the sides of your ribs, you're going to open up a ton of shoulder range of motion and just be able to kind of like be aware that air is even supposed to go in that place. Um, so we've stretched out the six packs so you can kind of get out of that. 
we've opened up the side of the ribs and then I'll do something that I just call elevator breathing, 360 breathing, you know, whatever you want to call it. And that's just thinking about starting the breath from the bottom and just filling up the Coke can. I like to think about the visual of you're pouring a wine glass. You know, I usually do something corny. I'll be like, well, I'm going to have tequila. What's your favorite drink? You can do whatever you want, you know? And they're like, all right, you're pouring that up from the top bottom to the top. And that's teaching people to get air into their back ribs. Most people don't even know that they can get air into their back ribs. And the first time they do it, they're like, oh, my lower back just let go. Like, yeah, it's supposed to fill up back there, you know? And then, um, arguably most importantly getting air under your collarbones and actually into your chest is like so important um there's a huge distinction between getting air into your chest with by using your neck and by arching your back but the cool thing about this routine is basically when you fill up your back ribs first with the elevator breath your back ribs stay on the ground, not your lower back, but your back ribs stay on the ground. And then you get your chest to expand too. So you're getting expansion from all levels, which is what we're intent to breathe like. Um, so that's really the first place I start everyone. It's a free video on YouTube and it's in everybody's program. Um, and it takes nine minutes. And then within that routine at the end, what we do is we teach people to actually load their core. So you would do an elevator breath, you'd fill all the way up, similar to how you'd fill up to do a back squat. And then you lift your feet. And when you lift your feet with the cueing in the video, you'll be like, oh, this is what's supposed to happen. Because what happens with core training and, and breath work in general is most people just smash their lower back into the ground and crunch anyway. So you're going back to that same thing. So we're not necessarily giving you a different pattern or a more optimal pattern. We're just kind of doing the same one again. So that lifting your feet and then you learn how to exhale all the way and then place your feet down is like a, a really big light bulb moment for everybody because they're kind of like, yeah, but I do those like 15 minute ab classes three times a week and I'm never tired. Sometimes I tell the, the, the coach like, this is easy, you know, it's like, all right, cool. And then I do have this with them and they can't really lift their feet at all. And it's like, as soon as they lift them, it's all lower back crunch into the ground. So that, that's how we finish up that routine. It's something that you can do every single morning. It's free. I mean, that's, that's definitely the move. Nice. That's awesome. I will definitely link that. And I did watch that video myself. I think it's awesome, Ian. And I loved how you developed this framework of starting with the belly breathing. And like you mentioned, like that's not going to be the end point, but it is an effective way to start. And I think just from a, a position of developing kinesthetic awareness too, one of the most common things we see in physical therapy practice that I believe contributes to injury is a lack of kinesthetic awareness and a lack of the ability to control your body or even have an understanding of where your body is in space. So something like belly breathing and breathwork in general just helps you to train your brain to key into those things, like feeling your muscles expanding, feeling that eccentric loading, like just feeling things. So many of us are like so mindless when we train. Um, yeah. And listen, I'm such a big fan of blasting the music and the let's fucking go mentality. Like that's me. But at the same time, I have forced myself and trained myself to have those sessions where you're just zoned in because that's ultimately what's going to, you know, promote progress. Um, so that's awesome. I, I love just all of that advice that you gave and especially that you can kind of draw those links between breath work and the core, you know, it is such a strong connection. And, um, one of the biggest things that I've changed my mind on over the last couple of years is that whole, like slamming your lower back into the ground. And when you think about it, it's like, 
that's not necessarily a functional position for our spine either. So all good stuff there, Ian. Um, now, one more question I just want to ask you personally, how do you incorporate breath work and breathing into your personal life and practice? Same, all of the above. Yeah, I mean, I still do the routine, you know, it progresses. Um, so in our, in our, our subscription on, on, our, on our course, uh, the Elite Video Membership, we have something called the TBA Train. So it's like a more intense version of that. Um, if you can imagine, like, once you learn how to lift your feet and even just be able to take five breaths without putting them down and your breaths are quality and you're not using your neck and not doing all that stuff, we start working on kickouts. So like a, a dead bug situation where you're kicking that out and like the amount of people that can kick their leg out without smashing their lower back on the ground is like less than the amount of people that are starting in the 9090. <laughs> it's like huge correlation between those two groups. But so, so that, that's kind of where, where that goes. Um, but yeah, I would do it the same exact way. You know, part of the, the reason I'm doing all this stuff and the reason that I, I, I do do the things the way I do is because I've done them and that's, that's how I learned. And, um, you know, there's no better way to learn than to really um, find someone you like and then start doing their stuff and, and go through it and then kind of analyze it for yourself. And then once you fall in love with it, go back and look at it again and say, why are they wrong and figure out how to make it even better. So yeah, all the same stuff. Um, you know, I still take my mouth. I still do the same core routine. Like on an easy day, I'll do the exact one that I'm telling you guys to do. So it's just like that. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. Stick to the basics, right? Yeah. And I have to say, as I'm sitting here, when you were giving the explanation, kind of walking through your YouTube video, I'm like practicing these things. And I did, you know, thinking about that, filling up your cup with your favorite uh, beverage, which for me is a Moscow meal, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> but as I'm doing that, I get like a little crack in my T-spine, you know, crack, pop. We can talk until the cows come home about what happens, but it feels good. And it just shows you how much, how your ribs and your spine and all of this stuff is connected. So if you're listening to this, take a couple of nice, deep, full breaths and uh, you're going to feel great even just after a few. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like the way I describe it is kind of like a stretch from within. Or you can even, if you're someone who loves going to the Cairo, just think about like an adjustment from within. And similar to how you, you talked earlier about that, that self-empowerment, I mean, you know, the Cairo, there's amazing Cairos out there. There's bad Cairos, just like trainers and personal, uh, our physical therapists. But, you know, to, to rely on someone to crack you is like really not great. You know, like that's not where you want to be at in your health and fitness. So to, to, to know one of the, the points that I get to with a lot of my clients, that's one of my favorite points is when something happens inevitably because it will, whether it's my bin back was tight or this was that. And instead of asking me instead of going to the Cairo instead of doing that they know the solution and they actually do it and it often sounds exactly like what you just did they're like well I did the power cat and I, I I hate that but man it was so good and I took one breath and it popped it right open and next thing you know like that tightness was gone and I'm good I'm like great because that's really the goal is for us to almost make these people independent of us especially as a physical therapist like the best physical therapists are like, yo, get out of here. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that should be the gold standard of physical therapy. It's like, how, how fast can I get this person out of here with achieving all their goals? Hey, I'm 100% with you. And I will be the first to admit that I'm just getting into the game and I don't know the pressures of clinical practice yet with numbers and all that stuff, but that's definitely a core value of mine and something that I'm going to stick to. And um, it's true. That's what it's all about. If we're not equipping people with the tools to manage problems themselves, because 
shit's going to happen. Like nobody's going to be perfectly injury free forever if they are physically active. So I love all the tools and tips that you gave today, Ian, super beneficial. And I can't wait to incorporate this stuff with more of my patients and clients as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, So I want to wrap things up here with just one final question for you. This is something that all of my guests receive here on the Goal Set Mindset podcast. Um, We're centered around setting goals and achieving them with the principles of passion, perseverance, and performance. And I'd love to hear what a personal goal is that you have right now and how you're working towards it. Yeah, so I'll give you one. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because it'll be the thing I'm most, least passionate about, but I'm working on. So um, basically, nutrition. I've just always been someone that's able to delve into the neuroscience of something, the anatomy of something, the kinesiology, whatever it is, and this huge like umbrella of things that aren't necessarily in our scope but affect our 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 lives as trainers. Um, and nutrition has always been something I hated. I really hate thinking about it. I, I grew up being able to eat five, uh, you know, pints of ice cream a week and have no issues and have a six pack. And now I'm a dad and we just bought a home and all this stuff. So it's kind of, you know, it's time to like delve in and be a little bit more, um, serious about my nutrition. And I I also want to learn more. So I can be an advocate for myself, not so much to become a nutritionist or help anybody else with it, but at the same time, um, yeah, just hit that uphill battle of uh, learning about something I'm not passionate about at all. Yeah, well, that definitely is tough, but good for you for you know committing to that. And congratulations um, to you. And I did see the picture of your baby boy. What a cutie. He'll, he'll be a little tank one day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, but that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's definitely... Um, it's great that you can understand that like, Hey, this isn't something I really like to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Cause um, we love to make our strength stronger and do the things we're good at and read the things that we enjoy. Um, but I'm with you. Good luck with that. And, and I'm sure you'll do awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So Ian, I would love if you could just tell the listeners um, where they can follow you, support you, reach out to you, and I'll be, be sure to link everything in the description of the episode as well. Absolutely. So um, Instagram is Ian Marco. That's I-A-N and then M-A-R-K-O-W. You guys can DM me, hit me up anytime you want. Um, Definitely say, hey, Ian. A lot of times I get this weird thing where people are like, hey, Marco. And it's like, I don't know where you got that. I get it, but like not really, you know. Uh, We also have our business account that has a lot of really good different stuff on Instagram. That's at Marco Training Systems or at Marco Training Systems. Our website is that too, marcotrainingsystems.com. The easiest way to think about it is this. Definitely start with the free stuff that we're about to give you in terms of the YouTube links, especially everything we talked about. Um, But from there, um, if you want to learn more, it's super simple. If you are someone who wants to learn how to help other people, then you should definitely check out our course, Mobility Coach Plus. So if you're a trainer, a therapist, Cairo, any of that stuff. Um, And then if you're someone who just wants to like do some classes, learn on your own, Um, or maybe even a coach that wants to see things formatted in terms of sessions and classes, um, do the elite video membership. There's a free trial there. It's a no brainer. You'll be on there for seven days. If you want to cancel, cancel, no problem. And, um, you'll really take a lot away from that. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, Ian. So many resources. I'm definitely going to check some of those out as well. Um, I'm so, so excited. We got to connect today. This was such an amazing conversation. I'm super grateful for you sharing your time with me and I look forward to connecting again. Thanks for everything. Thank you so much. I appreciate everyone listening. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. I hope you enjoyed all that Ian had to share about breathwork and how it can improve all aspects of your health and fitness. I cannot speak more highly of Ian and the content that he puts out, as well as the influence that breathwork has had on my life. If you're enjoying the podcast, I would love if you subscribed on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, we will be back next week with another episode.